0: Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support
1: these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org.
0: Okay, Peter, on this episode of Running Light, is going to share with us some really important stuff from the internet, since we love current events.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We do like to talk about interesting sexual issues. So this is, uh, I think it's today. The article, I think, is from today. Yeah, September 15th. No, wait, that's yesterday, I think. Um, But this is from Ohio. And there's a mayor called uh, Mayor Craig Schubert out in Ohio who found out that there were certain things that the educators were distributing that he believes constitutes child pornography in the classroom. Uh, Now... I like the way he worded it, but let me let me read these prompts and then I'll explain why I think it does constitute child pornography in a way. Uh, so it actually comes from a book that was distributed in their high school. these are high school students and it's titled 642 things to write about. So it's it's kind of marketed as uh, writing prompts to help your kids. uh become more creative writers i suppose these are just a handful of the prompts that are contained within the book write a sermon for a beloved preacher who has been caught in a sex scandal that one's not that bad but it's still a little weird uh describe your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs it's pretty bad choose how you will die okay uh write an x-rated disney scenario write a sex scene you wouldn't show your mom Rewrite the sex scene from above into one that you would let your mom read uh, And it goes on from there.
0: <laughs> what wait what what it who now? This is in Ohio. This is in Ohio. This is a high school. This is a high school. This is a teacher
1: So this is a school board. Oh, this so is a, a school So whole school board actually approved this book to be distributed to all students Okay, so the it's a, in a the book
0: high mm-hmm. So it gets distributed and it helps kids with creative writing, right?
1: and that would make me a more creative writer <laughs> if I was writing those things. You know what? It's all about goals, <laughs> Peter. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and so the reason why I said it does technically constitute child pornography is because uh, to a certain extent, I think it's a more strong case to call it sexual harassment because if you have an adult, uh, adult male or female and they are soliciting from kids, from minors to write things like that. So let me, let me flip the scenario a little bit and maybe you could see it a little bit better. If you were on Facebook and you saw someone direct messaging your daughter or your son uh, who is a minor and they were writing them um, these things, describe to me a sex scene that you wouldn't describe to your mom. Describe to me your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs. You would look at that and say, that's, that's definitely sexual harassment of a minor and you would call the cops. So this is a teacher distributing the same prompts to tons of underage students, girls and guys. But
0: this happens all the time in the sense of you can do certain things in certain contexts, Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Right. In another context, it's not okay, and it's illegal. Right. So um, I I would imagine, I can't think of an example of what I'm thinking of, but I, I... i'm sure it's out there so meaning
1: i could give i could give an example uh sex ed class mm-hmm. so if me as an adult male went up to an underage female right and just started talking to her about sexual acts right and things like that i'd be arrested illegal but in a sex education class that becomes okay that context makes it okay right uh in this context the reason why it still doesn't make it okay is because obviously they're prompting these kids to write about these things and they're obviously going to have to grade them (laughs) so that means that they're reading these sexual fantasies and thoughts of their students who are underage so even if you you know live in a interesting world a world different than mine where you assume that none of these teachers are going to receive any sexual pleasure from this uh you don't know that first of all and secondly it's still an inappropriate thing to ask a teenager to do and it doesn't really have much educational value to it you know like you can't really argue that this is going to benefit a child because you could make the prompt anything it could be describe the favorite thing that you like about tennessee using only verbs you know Describe uh, a food that you like that your mom cooks, or something like that. But like, maybe
0: that's that. Maybe that's kind of where we're at in 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 the society, and in you know, on the globe, is that you know, sex is like food, and and it's kind of that kind of idea. And it's know?
1: as uh, not base. What's what's the word? Not base. just as um, normalized. Yeah, like normalized or uh, common, like as common. As to think that, like, asking a question like that is just as, like, asking what's your favorite kind of pie. Yeah, (laughs) maybe the the
0: younger generation, because they're so around pornography, um, per se, you know, it's, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what is the, how much pornography is every kid uh, um, involved in? I don't know. And no one knows. Um, But you definitely, with those kind of questions, you're definitely assuming that they certainly are aware of uh, the kinds of uh, sexual content that's out there. And um, uh, so, you know, with that being said, you know, I tend to think, or I I think our first point, or my first point is like, I don't know if it's harassment per se when education, in an educational context, you know, they ask these kind of questions. Uh, And the other, and and, then the reason why I would say maybe it's not something like sexual harassment. Um, is because the nature of the way pornography is seen today is so different as well. Maybe, um, and 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 maybe there's a transition and a change going on that is a little we're maybe a little unaware of with younger people. Meaning, maybe there there is such an inundation um, of pornography into their life where uh, there is a uh, they don't see it within the arousal context um, quite like uh, people of old did, where it was so rare and it was it, it was it, you know it was definitely um, an amazing prize if you found pornography. you know where maybe to them because there's so many images and so many things they've seen that they just don't quite equate that alone with arousal um yeah so and i know that brings up kind of a a big mesh of an issue
1: (laughs) yeah on that point uh i would say that the the first thing is when you and i did the um the sex education not the sex education but like talking to kids about um like pornography and stuff like that at the at the various middle schools uh, yeah. around was sold no more uh-huh. um what we found is that there are some kids in those classrooms that are knee deep in it maybe even <laughs> eyeball deep <laughs> into pornography already they're talking about stuff that i've never even heard of i'm like what where did you hear that like it's just it's like blows you away how and these the, kids and these are, are from the it. females right like the females saying stuff where you're like man eh, i've been married for six years i never even want to try that with my wife you know? yeah they're they're, like- yeah their sexual <laughs> their
0: sexual uh prowessness is yeah. is is quite scary to us big adult males. <laughs> it's like very
1: scary. Yeah. Uh but what we also found is that there were a number of the kids and it's a smaller percentage for sure, but there's a number of the kids that are still very naive and not that sexual, meaning that uh even the ones who have been exposed to, like pornography and things like that, it's just like they saw it and they're like okay and or maybe it even like disturbed them and now they've kind of gone in a different direction. So, uh You know, when when you get out like uh, a writing prompt like this, I I would bet, I'd be willing to bet, I'm going to throw out a percentage. It's probably not true, but uh, maybe around like 70 or 75% of the kids who received that writing prompt didn't think anything of it. They were just like, oh, okay. But then you still have the 20, 25% who are going to look at that and be like, what the heck? You know, and it will disturb them and it will make them feel very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt that. The risk that this educational board uh has put themselves in is I'd so say. Unnecessary pretty, risk. <laughs> quite high. Yeah. You know. Because he
1: you know, what the mayor said is either you guys can resign or I'm going to press charges. So uh which is a pretty uh firm stance. Pretty impressive. The uh, the other point uh that I would make about it is that we as a society would look at it and say obviously the culture has become incredibly inundated by sexuality the question that we have to ask as a culture is how do we feel about it first of all like what do we think about the over sexualization of our culture and secondly what role does politics and public education have in that meaning that do we want public education and and political figures to be pressing the cultural status quo or do we want them to be looking at it and saying "Mm, that's wrong maybe we should move back
0: yeah and you know everybody has to make a decision of what of course what they want their kids to be taught and 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 so far in our country you can take your kids to another school right and that's something that you know you need to be involved in and uh you know whatever era we're in there's always been uh, some level of se- sex education when there's no sex education you know it doesn't mean necessarily things go better in the culture right. um but um you know as a parent you know do you believe that you have a responsibility um uh, over what's being taught to your kid and if you do then you'll be involved in it um you know, there are some kids that I've met that have been really inundated into porn when they were really young. And by the time they were 16, they were kind of like moved right out of it. Right. And you kind of go, wow, that, w- that was kind of cool. They yeah. kind of saw it as like, oh, old news and, you know, been there, done that. And, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, you know, and we we've, we've said this many times on the podcast. It's not... Uh, a one one thing fits everybody you right. know some people like porn and they just tend to like to watch it um some people watch it for a period of time and then they just that's it yeah. you know and they're not too into it at all anymore yeah. um uh you know so i i there it seems like there's a lot of things to kind of delve into of whether it's You know, the distribution of child pornography, to have them write on these things. Um, You know, it says a lot about the culture. um, And, you know, the verdict's still out on um, what the pornography uh, experiment is going to be like in uh, the future, in our world. I think we haven't really... Um, seen it in its full glory but I definitely think that we are seeing a lot of ramifications for it on many levels and you can write books probably on that Um, you know uh, Big Porn Inc. uh, tries to do its best to have many writers uh, fill the book with different articles on their um, issues with the porn industry but even without the porn industry, you still have kids with phones and they're still sexting and um you know, I just talked to a mom whose daughter, who's 16 years old, showed some pictures. And it's it's something that uh you know, how do you you know, how do you get kids, you know, that are sexual away from sex? Um you know uh for us if i walked into a a corner store and i saw a bunch of magazines and they said oh it's free and i would have been stoked you know but it wasn't free and so there was kind of like a forced um
1: and you had to be 18 yeah you had to, to be 18 it. yeah or get someone who's 18 to buy it for you <laughs> yeah
0: and uh you know obviously in an education situation you know, there's. I don't think it's very responsible of the board at all to make those kind of statements and uh, or those kind of demands of the kids. Yeah. You know, not um, a smart move. Yeah, I don't think it's a bright move. I, I, I think you know, pornography is a complicated subject on many levels, um, and um, and uh, it's not something to be just trifled with. You know, it's just like a. It's you know, in a sense, you got to look at it with some reverence you know you can't just um it's like big weight working out you know you can't just look at it and go oh i'm gonna lift that thing and walk up and just any old way try to pick up the weight you have to kind of treat it you know with some kind of like hey this subject's a very important subject to communicate properly yeah um and i i think you know even with
1: the last podcast, it wasn't the last one, but it was like a couple ones back where we spoke about the sex education um, thing in New York, right? The thing in New York where I can't remember the woman's name, but she provided sex education for even elementary schoolers, uh, which had a very kind of – I would call it a disturbing animated video for for elementary schoolers to, to watch. But I, I think what is happening right now is that when it comes to sex education or what is – the public education's role in telling the kids about sexuality. I don't think that there ever was or ever has been um, in this country, like any delineated, like, this is what we're going to do. And I think because of that, now parents are freaking out because they're seeing this lack of regulation in existence and they're seeing people kind of taking advantage of it where – people like that woman were able to say, well, there's no law that says that I can't do this. And isn't that good for your kids to understand about their sexuality young. And also in this school, uh, he's not able to actually quote like a school statute that says we can't give assignments that say this or do that. Uh, I'm sure there's statutes out there in the schools of like racist material. I'm sure if um, if someone were to prompt white students to say like, describe for me why other races are inferior and why you're better. I'm sure people would freak out about that and I'm sure there are some school statutes that talk about that. But with the sexual issue, I think we've been very uh, hands off. And so parents freaking out about that as well as uh, teaching kids about gender issues uh, in elementary school now. You know, like what's your gender? How do you know that? Things like that at, at young young ages I think a lot of parents are like this is weird
0: well it's definitely the, the definitely the trend is definitely to for younger people to be more uh, sexually exposed and um, be able to make decisions and it always comes off as consensual right. as long as they're consensual okay. that they're good and that's a very strong push in in liberal sex edu- education um also uh, the trans movement to for kids to uh understand their uh sex uh and their gender um uh at a younger age and so you have um all that in play as well right so uh,
1: and i think it, it it is a good thing for parents to start thinking about that like what kind of, like you said bo there is a certain amount of choice that you have as a parent you can get involved in like school board meetings and things like that or you can move your kid into a charter school uh, or a different public school you can you can move districts if you want uh, to because even the district thing is different but i think also people who are opposed to these kinds of things which obviously me and you are uh, we don't like the idea that this is happening but you do have to ask the question of it's not enough to just say stop it because this stuff that's happening is in reaction to something else.
0: Yeah. And what were some of those, some of those assignments? They were like, one of them was like writing what, what was some of them? It was, um, I wrote, I I was trying to write some down so I could remember them because I had, I had a thought on some of it. Um, favorite part of the male body using verbs, X-rated Disney. Um, I wrote that, uh,
1: write a sex scene that you wouldn't want your mom to see. Oh. And then rewrite it. That was probably the worst one. Rewrite it so that it would be something she would want to see. She would see.
0: see. And what's interesting is if you know about porn, and this is what the lady in New York were the sex educator in New York was was doing that I felt like, you know, she was she was speaking some truth here. And that was if you know the genres of popular porn, she called it um um, she was trying to teach intersectional porn, I think it yeah, was, which um, was interesting the yeah take
1: on it was interesting
0: yeah um but if you're if you're looking at you know the popular porn today um you're assuming that kids are in high school are very much familiar with um you know teen porn um they're very much familiar with um uh, all kinds of homosexuality porn. They're very familiar with hentai porn, uh, which is an animation porn. Uh, so they're very familiar with, like, Disney porn, if you will. Cartoonish porn. Um, they're very um, in, uh, very knowledgeable on heroin porn, which is, um, like, uh, DC Comics stuff. Um, these things are very popular. And so... You know the point being is that, you know the kind of scenario scenario that they're going to write about some of these people, um, incest porn, another one. These these things that they're going to write about uh, 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 of popular porn, um, they would be considered you know illegal acts in the world, um, for sure, um, and. And it might be something that's quite shocking for maybe not the teacher if the teacher's savvy, you know. But I don't know how many teachers I'm, you know, I mean, and, and I, I've taught at that college level where I've, you know, been with a, a, a professor in the class listening to me and they're shocked, you know, by what I'm talking about. So I don't think every teacher, especially at high school level, is a student of pornography. You know, they're not, they don't, they don't know everything about pornography. They might know some things, but there's got to be some students that come back. And I know when I was in high school, man, it's like, you know, I would have wrote some pretty, pretty crazy stuff. You know, there's all kinds of porn, there's whore porn, there's, you know, stuff that's just downright gnarly. A lot, there's some porn that's quite abusive, there's porn that is quite coercive. Um, You know, it's considered fantasy porn, but it's very coercive in its storytelling. And so, like, what do you do if a student comes to you and write? I mean, he does the assignment. I guess that's my point. And he he writes an assignment, and it's about something that's pretty hardcore, you know? And it's like, man, my fantasy that I wouldn't want my mom to know is I want to blank my mom. That's popular porn i mean there's tons of porn that goes in that direction so what does the teacher say at that point you know what i mean what do you do as a teacher at that point do you go uh you know i i don't know if i should report (laughs) this you know (laughs) like to me like you know, like this is opening a can of worms (laughs) for the teacher yeah yeah like we said like this is opening something that like to me it's just the risk involved yeah. at this point it seems like it'd be really high yeah you know and there's go- there's gonna be some people yeah that say stuff like this right you know
1: right yeah and what i was also thinking about it <clears throat> when it comes to it is like if a if a parent you know if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're like you know i that's so gross like i can't believe our culture has gotten that far i i think that Uh, What me and Bo are saying is, first of all, this is illustrative of where our culture is, where a school board wouldn't even think much about distributing this. Meaning, I don't think that these people really thought, like, this is going to be like throwing a grenade on my career. You know, like, they they probably just thought, like, yeah, like, these aren't that bad, you know, and they distributed them. That's That's how normal it's become for people. Uh, and if they didn't have this particular mayor it probably wouldn't meaning that there might be many other schools that have the same curriculum you just never hear about it because no one makes a fuss Uh, but then the second thing is is again like as a parent you have to understand that this kind of communication the way that it's defended is people would say like well your kids are already being exposed to this stuff so wouldn't you rather we in a safer environment talk to them about it and help them set up more uh like safe and cautious approaches to their sexuality so they're not doing anything dangerous or putting themselves in bad situations and scenarios uh so a parent who's going to say like i just don't like it you have to be a little bit more specific than that like what role do you want the public school or any type of education apparatus to have in your kid's sexuality if you want to say none whatsoever. Like, I don't want the school to have any whatsoever. It's, it's tough to do that because when you have a school saying, we're not going to talk about sex at all, you do have an environment in which there are sexual things happening within the school, right? Kids are having sex that are attending high school. There are people transitioning now from genders talking about homosexuality. And the teacher can't exactly just make all the kids close their ears and pretend like these things aren't happening. And these are things happening, like what I'm describing are things that are happening in school as well as outside of it. Yeah. Um, And then beyond that, if you're going to say, well, okay, some, well then you got to get a little more specific. What do you want them to talk to your kids about? What is the morality that you want to present? Uh, Because you have to present something. You can't just have nothing. Uh, You have to have some amount of control over what's being shared and you just have to decide what that is so what we're seeing is a world kind of with no control and any teacher can kind of do whatever they want they can talk about whatever they want so some teachers might agree more with you but some might not and are you okay with that so it it, it is it brings up a very interesting topic i think
0: for yeah a lot of people. yeah and there's so many things that come to my mind like you know what if you have a student that just doesn't want to write about this What if they were molested and they just don't feel comfortable? Well, obviously, hopefully the teacher's got enough savvy. But to say, okay, I understand you don't have to write on this assignment. We'll have you eat on hamburgers or something. (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, but even to put uh, a kid, again, you know, making young people grow up, Mm -hmm. like to make adult kind of decisions when they're so young, you know, to have to deal with these situations um it's not super necessary right. and
1: it's, it's unnecessary in it and like you said there there's so many scenarios where it could be like make a kid feel awkward or bad or and we've certainly been up. there and
0: like you say we've been there right you know so we, we've seen it it's uh
1: it, it is something where again i think that these teachers it shows how our culture is where again that didn't even cross their mind like they didn't even think about it and that that to me is is radical you know if i'm making a curriculum for students and it had stuff about like sexual things like this in it it would at least make me pause and maybe try to talk to other people like what do you think about this can you think of any potential problems like you know i but it kind of seems like it didn't make anyone pause they were just like yeah that sounds great yeah. and you know there's the whole saw about the educational elite and how they kind of are in a bubble you <laughs> know they're in like a progressive bubble yeah. and everyone would be like yeah I don't see anything wrong with that but it's just it just it, it kind of is is a little crazy to me
0: yeah I don't even think it's a progressive bubble anymore I think yeah. it's definitely you know the regressive bubble but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, uh um, another thing I, I was thinking of too um, is that you know the everything we're talking about, the Bible talks about. Mm -hmm. So whether it's incest or, you know, uh, sexual actions of coercion or, um, you know, um, sexual partners being many, whatever it is, the Bible speaks of these things. It has situations of these things. Um, This isn't something that's odd to us as Christians. Um, It would be different if the educator had a biblical worldview and was able to take people's, and ha- and the reason why is because if someone had a worldview that human beings are depraved by nature, that we are, uh, you know, that biblical idea that we're fallen and we can't get up, <laughs> you know, um, then the expectation is that, you know what, we're going to see the, the fallen nature in all of its glory, if you will, in this kind of, you know, assignment. Um, and then, you know, to take those those assignments and then be able to talk about why God created sex or, you know, what's the purpose of sex or or what do we think about the culture and how much sex that is permeated you know, youth's lives. How do you think it's affected you? Um, you know, you know. It's not that you need to have this assignment to do that, right? Um, but that's the only way that I could see where it would be somewhat redeemable, right. <laughs> you know. But the questions themselves. I mean, the bottom line is. I mean, what you state about the the actual assignment itself is. Um, You know ridiculous yeah (laughs) you know i mean there's just no two ways around it i mean you know it's just ridiculous to have high school students you know write a write a article um to become better creative writers about x-rated disney you know things like
1: maybe if they're you know eventually aspiring to be like writers for (laughs) hustlers on their (laughs) penthouse forum they they would need
0: this (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and yeah yeah totally you know well the the other thing I wanted to chat about which we have some minutes left um, is that uh, in the book of Hebrews it says that um, uh, the marriage bed is not to be defiled and it's a great passage of scripture so I wanted to kind of read it because um, the whole passage is really cool and I wasn't able to teach this passage with you Um and I would have loved to, but in verse 4 of chapter 13 of Hebrews, it says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And I wanted to get your take on just that, that uh, verse.
1: Yeah, so um, there's, there's two main ways that I could see this being taken, uh, which are both very cool. The first one is from, like, the context of Gnosticism. So we talk a lot about this on the podcast, but um, throughout the ancient world, there was this concept that we call today Gnosticism, where they believed that there was a fundamental separation between soul and body, and the things that were spiritual were good, and the things that were physical were bad. And so they taught that abstaining from physical pleasure was the epitome of righteousness and spirituality. So uh, they did teach that sex was bad because sex brings about bodily pleasure Uh, and the only way that you could have sex is if it was for the express purpose of procreation but the idea of having sex for recreation for fun and for enjoyment uh, even within the bonds of marriage was bad and a lot of the early church fathers believed this way they really did Uh, you have guys like saint augustine uh, well, actually, it'd be, you'd be hard to find a single church father who didn't think this way. <laughs> you know, it's very difficult to find any of the church fathers who weren't on this boat of saying, yes, the way that we honor God in our body is by denying the body pleasure. Uh, and that's where you get monks and, uh, you know, friars and all these things are people abstaining from physical pleasure in order to become more godly. In this passage, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexual. It's almost the like cultures.
0: the dude saying, dude, sex is good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: it, it's it's almost like a direct attack at that. You know, you can see it where he's like, let marriage be held in honor among all like marriage is awesome. And then lest someone be like, oh, OK, well, yeah, I get married, but just don't have sex. Then he goes even further and says, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So he's saying like, no, like it's not just that marriage is great, the marriage bed is great. And so he's making that point of pushing it and saying, it's not like, uh, you know, the idea of union and, you know, raising a child together, that's awesome. But sexual pleasure among a husband and wife is bad and naughty and all that stuff. He's like, no, 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 that is very, very good. Don't think that way. Uh, So I think that's very, very cool. Uh, The second way that Which deals with
0: the the perpetual virginity of Mary.
1: Right, right. So a lot of Catholics, uh, the reason why the dogmas of Mary of being a perpetual virgin, meaning that Catholic teaching is that Mary never had sex. It's not just that she conceived a virgin, which we all agree about. It's that even after she had Jesus, she never had sex. And that is a part of her holiness. That is a part of her uh, sanctity as, you know... Uh, Mary mother of faith, so they they really do believe that her perpetual virginity is important Because it is what makes her holy and untouchable and undefiled and pure Uh, So this passage would obviously show that that's not true that the marriage bed is undefiled that there is something precious and special about it
0: Yeah, there is that thought in the Bible um, and you can elaborate on this where in the temple rituals of the Old Testament with the Jews mm-hmm. and in the New Testament with 144,000 right. these Jewish followers of God that are uh, the 144,000 are virgins mm-hmm. and and I think the words used they've never been defiled and that word defiled is used in the Old Testament as well mm-hmm. um, and so I think people have thought um, in just a uh, passive reading of the scriptures that you know that sex was something that in a sense defiled you in some way
1: Right, so in the Old Covenant There were things that made you they put you in a state of defilement or uncleanness before God They weren't things that were sinful They were things that just defiled you and it was basically anything that had to do with Death, <laughs> anything that had to do with death or the body. So, for instance, being sick put you in a state of defilement. Uh, now, is the Bible saying that you're sinning by being sick? No, but being sick is is uh, a demonstration of your mortality. Well,
0: it was like a ceremonially ceremonially.
1: That's right. You're ceremonially unclean. unclean or defiled before God. So it's not like you lose a relationship with God or, again, that you've sinned. It's just that you had to go through a state of purity before you did it. So even women, when they went on their period, were in a state of ceremonial uncleanness or defilement. Um, And then sex also would put you in a state of defilement. Now, after you have sex, there's a way to become holy again very easily. You just go through mikvah, right? You go through a baptismal and you're good to go. Uh, but the idea there is like anything relating to the body, the the dirtiness of the body, or the spreading of disease, or the idea of death, anything like that would yeah, put you in a state of contamination. Anything contamination exactly. It would put you in a state of defilement. And it was this.
0: Uh, it seemed like there was this idea that was so. And this is something that's hard for us to understand, but. The Bible says God is so holy, and that's the, the thing that we just don't get. Is uh, But we, we can't understand it through these radical <laughs> actions right. that are commanded. So when God says, hey, go through this this dunking of water and cleansing ritual, um, because I'm trying to help you guys understand that before me, you have to be 100% perfect. Right. Like, no blemish
1: at all. And you could even see, like, in those washing ceremonies that what's being signified is God saying to you, like, what defiles you? Like, being alive defiles you. <laughs> so it's like, you, you could... It was impossible to live in the... If you read about what defiles you ceremonially, everybody's defiled. You're going to go through states of defilement if you encounter death at all, right? So I'm not just talking about a corpse of a person if you encounter the corpse of an animal you're defiled right so it's like how do you back in the day they didn't have walmart how do you, you know? get out of death yeah how do you <laughs> ha, yeah you, you don't have walmart you didn't have a butcher that would do it for you. you had to kill your own meat you had to be around death so it's like you're defiled uh if you touch blood you're defiled if there's even mold in your house the house is defiled you know like you just you couldn't you get have away a pimple. from it You're defiled. You have a
0: pimple, yeah. If you read the Torah, man, you get a pimple on your skin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I could make uh, an interesting argument that one of the reasons why God did it— so obviously there's the main overarching reason that Bo already gave, that this is to show that God is holy. He is undefiled. Undefiled by what? Everything that's defiled about the creation. We know that the world is defiled because of our sin. So God is separate. That's what the word holy means. He's separate. He's set apart from the fallenness and the corruption of the human condition. Uh, Now, that's the main thing that's supposed to be demonstrated by these holiness laws. But there's another argument that can be made that when you look at when and how the Hebrews were supposed to wash themselves... There's actually a very important hygienic principle there, and that's why the Jews did so well during various plagues that afflicted mankind during especially the Middle Ages. Jews did amazing during the bubonic plague because of their ceremonial washings, and that's also why a lot of Europeans thought they were responsible for the plague, which is just ridiculous
0: but at any rate it's always those that yeah. get the a that are blamed the most <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's the
1: it's the haves that get in trouble not the have-nots <laughs> uh but yeah i mean if you think about it back in the day i mean that's very gross to be having sexual relations i mean the, there's no concrete there's no carpet or wood floors like there's just dirty dirt floors there's like all this grime and stuff and you're going to have sex with your partner and you're not going to clean like back in the day like our ancestors just didn't wash afterwards and that was okay it's like you're so rife for infection you know urinary tract infection especially for the the women yeast infection urinary tract infection just because they're not cleaning themselves they're not washing in the jewish washing rituals this undefiling actions they're becoming more and more cleansed now also and this kind of shifts into the 144,000 the Apostle Paul makes a point that somebody who is unmarried this is in 1 Corinthians 7 someone who is unmarried has an opportunity to have a mindset that is fixated solely on ministry and by ministry he's talking about ministry specifically to the church Now, he does talk about a ministry that the married have. The ministry that the married have is not only to look after their partner, which is important, especially back in the day where women didn't have many rights, but also to look over your family and also to be a symbol of God's perfect love and unity, both within the marriage as well as towards your children. So the married had a very, very beautiful ministry, but there was a type of ministry That single people just do better and that would be the ministry of like evangelism and going out and sharing your faith and being present for ministerial work within the church body itself and so these one hundred and forty four thousand what we get is that a they're going to be ministering in a time of great distress to say the least uh, both for the Jewish people as well as for the Christians and secondly their lives seem to be dedicated wholly to the work that God has for them. They're, they're, they seem to not be called to raise families or, or to have any focus on those things. They seem to be called only to God's work and ministry. And we, again, we see that in the Bible, both with the Apostle Paul as well as with the prophet Jeremiah and people like that who are called to, to live a life that is so dedicated to a particular ministerial calling that they can't be distracted with marriage or family. So, it, again, it's easy for people to say, like, well, see, so not being married is awesome. You know, it's great. You know, you shouldn't want to get married, and it's it's actually dirty and gross. But passages like this are written specifically to argue against that. Like, yeah. no, there is an honor to being married, and the marriage bed is undefiled.
0: Now, what do you think... Um And maybe this is our next podcast where we can finish up this talk with, um, the latter part of this, um, verse. Yeah. Yeah, Fornicators fornicators and adulterers adulterers will be punished. God will judge. Yeah. And let's go over some of the passages maybe that talk about that. And we'll get into a little bit of the specifics of what's the difference between adultery and fornication. And, um, and then, you know, uh, um, we could just kind of talk about why, Mm. you know, why God would judge this.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, one last thing I'll point out about this, and this is an interesting one that me and you talk about, but very few Christians ever think about. So for sure, he's setting at odds the idea of marital intimacy against um, uh, extramarital intimacy, which would be fornication and adultery. But one of the things he says is, let the marriage bed be undefiled. So in other words, some Christians believe that the marriage bed, by default, is undefiled. And that's also a false way to take this. So in other words, simply because I'm having sex with my wife, it's not defiled. Like it's pure and it's holy just by definition. Mm. Um, And that's not true. You know, I I was uh, just speaking to someone that I'm counseling and they're walking me through. And this is very common for me to hear this. And I know for you, Bo, as well, where, uh, you know, this this woman, she's talking to me about how um, in her sex life with her husband, her husband's just like, man, I'm horny. You know, you need to have sex with me or else I'll view pornography, you know? And she's like, well, you know, I, I'm not in the mood, you know, I'm tired. And He's like, well, it doesn't matter. Either you do this or I'm going to go view pornography. You don't want me to cheat on you, do you? This is your role as a wife. You have to do it. And she'll, she'll have sex. And it's like the idea that is going through this guy's mind is, well, I'm having sex with my wife. The marriage bed is undefiled. And so in his mind, he's like, I haven't defiled, I haven't done anything defiling. But when the verbiage is used here of let the marriage bed be undefiled, it means that inherently the marriage bed isn't bad. But you can make it bad. (laughs) You can corrupt it. And this dude certainly has. And many Christians have. Mm. Right? And so maybe next podcast we could talk a little bit about that as well. Like how can you defile the Mm. marriage bed?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for tuning in on this episode of Running Light. And we'll catch you next week. Be well check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series take flight and love or lust you can also send us questions on twitter at running light or on our runninglight.org podcast page like us on facebook at running light ministries psalm 36 8 they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures